You've heard Rex Barney give that fan a contract. Now it's time to give that fan a podcast. Dive into some Orioles baseball talk with your host, Ryan Blake. to give that fan a podcast. This is episode number seven. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Blake. Took a little bit of a break last week, did not release an episode on Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a very happy and healthy holiday. We've got a good interview coming up with hitting coach Nate Thompson of the University of Arkansas. Arkansas, of course, the former home of the Orioles' number two overall pick from this past season, Heston Kierstad, number three overall prospect for the Orioles on MLB Pipeline. So I'm going to talk to his hitting coach, had a good interview there, a little bit about what to expect from Heston what he brings to the table, what Orioles fans can hope for from him in the future. But first, we're going to talk about some things that the Orioles have done since the last time we recorded an episode. Next Thursday, December the 10th, is the Rule 5 draft. I'm going to preview that a little bit next week. We'll release that episode Thursday morning to give you guys a little bit of a briefing, I guess, on what the Orioles might do that afternoon. Some players, I think, might be claimed from the Orioles system. Some guys I think the Orioles should target. Some guys I personally like. But like I said, we'll dive into that more next week. But on the subject of the Rule 5 draft, the Orioles made some additions to the 40-man roster. To protect some guys, uh, left-handed pitcher Zach Louther, left-handed pitcher Alexander Wells, right-handed pitcher Michael Bauman, and right-handed pitcher Isaac Matson. No real surprises there. Outfielder used Neil Diaz was a no-brainer, and infielder Ryland Bannett. Unprotected, we have right-handed pitchers Zach Pop, Cody Sedlock, and Brennan Hanafy. Those are probably the three most notable who I think have a shot at being taken in the Rule 5 draft next week. We'll see what happens, but we'll dive into that a little bit more in depth next week. Uh, some moves have been made, however, that have surprised some Oriole fans, ruffled some feathers in Birdland. A couple minor moves, uh, infielder Chris Shaw claimed off waivers from the Giants. We'll see if that ends up being a, a guy who sticks around, but not a lot of risk there. Right-handed pitcher Thomas Eshelman was designated for assignment. He's now a free agent. Not a huge loss there for the Orioles pitching staff. And three moves that really shook some people up. There's going to be a common theme here, and I'll address that at the end, but the three players that are no longer going to be part of the Orioles' future, Renato Nunez, Hanser Alberto, and Jose Iglesias. Nunez was designated for assignment last week. He has now been released. He'll be 27 next season, and he's a guy who Oriole fans have kind of fallen in love with, and understandably so. It's fun to root for guys who can hit 35 home runs in a season, potentially. The problem with Nunez is he really brings nothing else to the table. He strikes out a ton. He doesn't walk enough. He doesn't get on base at a high clip. He can't play defense anywhere. We've tried him at third base, tried him at first base, and he's just not good in the field. That's that's the honest truth, to put it bluntly. And if you think Adam Jones swung in a lot of sliders in the dirt... I don't have the numbers to back me up on this, but it feels like I watched Renato flail at sliders very often the last few years. He crushed the hangers, but the good ones that broke out of the zone, in the dirt, into the left-handed hitter's batter's box, he had no shot. He was chasing them consistently, and it did not look good. And he's a guy who's so streaky at the plate that, yeah, when he's in the lineup, he can hit six home runs in a week. But when he's off, man, he is just not good. 
and he's a guy you don't want in the lineup when he's when he's not seeing the ball well. So Nunez an odd man out when you've got such a log jam at corner infield, designated hitter, so many guys who can play there. There's going to be an odd man out, and when you only bring power to the table and you can't provide anything else really for the Orioles, you're probably going to be the one who gets the boot. And Renato Nunez designated for assignment. He will not be on the 2021 Orioles. Second baseman Hanser Alberto, not tendered a contract. He has been released. Another guy who was a lot of fun to have on the team, but he's mainly a singles hitter against lefties. That's what he brings to the table. And yeah, he'll get, you know, he'll mix in some homers here and there, maybe a dozen, 15 homers across in the course of a full season. But he's 28 years old, and the league has kind of figured him out. We saw that last season. He swings at everything, and pitchers take advantage of that. And he's not going to replicate those the the season he hit 305 and and made a run at the batting title in the American League. I mean that's there's not a lot of value in a guy who slaps singles. And again, he's 28 years old, not going to be part of the Orioles' future plans. Um, Elias tried to trade him. There was a, a potential there for for a deal, but didn't find something he liked and and saved some money in the process. Was able to release him. So sad to see him go, but um, it'll it'll open the door for for some younger players to come in and and fill that role. Another move, shortstop Jose Iglesias. Uh, the Orioles signed him to a contract, which was expected. Uh, they picked up his player option for 2021, or they picked up the team option, rather. But then last night, Wednesday night, Orioles traded him to the Los Angeles Angels for a couple right-handed pitchers, Gene Pinto and Garrett Stalling. Now, Iglesias, like I said, he's, again, and this is the common theme that I was going to bring up. All three of these guys, fun to have on the team, but we're never going to be part of the Orioles' next competitor. Just stop gaps until some younger guys are ready to come in and fill those roles. And yeah, they were fun to have on the team, but Iglesias is, is he's not going to repeat the offensive performance he gave us last year. I mean, if you look at his career numbers, he's never been a good hitting shortstop. He's always been a defensive wizard out there who this season ran into some good balls and and hit well, hit for high average. But he doesn't walk much, so when he's when he stops seeing the ball well, he doesn't provide a lot of patience at the plate. He's going to swing at what he can get. He was a free agent signing, and Elias was able to flip him for two prospects. I mean, you can't be mad at that. Yeah, and then, again, sad to see him go, but wasn't going to be part of the future. And Elias is really following through on what he said when he was hired, that, you know, we're going to make this team a competitor in the future and, you know, get ready for some young guys. So Stallings, uh, the acquisition from the Angels. Uh, 23-year-old right-handed pitcher. He was the number 21 overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline in the Angels system. He's now the 26th slotted in there for the Orioles. And that's pretty consistent with the Orioles' acquisitions in uh, the last couple years. I mean, we've got Taron Vavra and Tyler Nevin from the Rockies. Vavra was the Rockies' number 7 prospect. He's now number 12 for the Orioles. Nevin was number 14 with the Rockies. He's the Orioles' number 22. A.J. Graffinino acquired in the Tommy Malone deal from the Atlanta Braves. He was the Braves' number 23 prospect. He's 31st, according to MLB Pipeline, for the Orioles. So Orioles adding some guys, and that just shows the depth of the organization. When you've got guys who are higher ranked in other farm systems come to the Orioles, they're a little bit lower. It shows that we've got some guys in there who have some potential in the future. So uh, Stalling's a good acquisition there. Pinto, 19-year-old pitcher, pitched in the Dominican League last year. We'll see what happens with him. But Stallings is the the crown jewel of the deal. Obviously, Pinto at 19 years old has a chance to rise, but Stallings is a guy who has a solid four-pitch mix. He doesn't walk anybody. 
Strikes out a decent amount, nothing crazy, but good enough. And he's a guy who can locate all four of his pitches. They're all at least average. So he's a guy who I think could slot in at the back end of a rotation in the next couple years. So to recap, Nunez, Alberto, Iglesias, none of those three will be part of the 2021 Orioles. We'll see what happens in the future, but as of now, all three of those guys are gone. The Orioles agreed to contracts with a few guys this past week. Catcher Pedro Severino, uh, stopgap until Adley comes up. We know what we're going to get from Severino. He was good offensively for a stretch last year, kind of fell off at the end and, and showed what he really is at the plate. He's not a good defender. We've all seen that. We all have complained about it. But one-year deal, he'll be there until Adley's ready to play. Relief pitcher Sean Armstrong, a guy to add some bullpen depth, brought him back on a one-year deal. Infielder Pat Vileka is going to be a utility guy, probably have a similar role to what he did last year. Infielder Yomer Sanchez is the big one, the waiver claim from the Chicago White Sox. He may slot in as the starting second baseman with Alberto gone. He may slot in as the starting shortstop with Iglesias gone. We'll see what happens. There's some guys who can come up and compete for those roles. Richie Martin, potentially. Taron Vavra. I think Ryland Bannon will get a shot to play a little bit of second base, a little bit of third base. And if we really want to get crazy, maybe this opens up a spot for Chance Sisko to play a little bit at second. I don't know if that's something the Orioles have explored at all. It's something I think they should. Sisko's a guy whose bat I want in the lineup. He gets on base at a very high clip. Very patient, good hitter. Hasn't really been what we expected, but the the defense behind the plate is not good. Too many guys already who can play designated hitter, but I think you've got to find a way to get Cisco's bat in the lineup. Maybe he plays a little second, who knows. Um, the Orioles tendered contracts at Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander, obviously. Those were never in question, but there is our recap of the Orioles' moves in the last couple weeks. Now, like I said, next week we'll dive into the Rule 5 draft. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and give you the interview with Nate Thompson, hitting coach at the University of Arkansas. Had a good conversation with him. Let's go ahead and dive into it. Nate, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, you bet, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So you uh, you got your start coaching in 2006 at your alma mater, Dallas Baptist. You've been in Arkansas since 2018, and ever since then they've been just a complete offensive powerhouse. But it seems to me that I, I was reading through your bio a little bit on the website it seems like pretty much all your coaching experience has come at the collegiate level. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, I've never, uh, never coached in uh, professional baseball. You know, my first year was coaching in 2006 there at DBU and, and uh, it's been doing it ever since. Yeah. Well, like I said, Arkansas has been a complete offensive powerhouse with you at the helm. Um, obviously Heston Kierstad is kind of the, cr- the crown jewel of that class, but what was it that made that class so special for you guys? And what, you know, what's been the recipe for your success there? Uh, in 2018, we had a, uh, a veteran offense returning, um, that was expected to be very good. Uh, and then we added, you know, Heston and Casey Martin to that offense and uh, both of them ended up being huge contributors and really good players, you know, in, in that, in that offense, they, uh, you know, ended up hitting in the two and the three hole, you know, on a, on a team that played for the national championship and, you know, broke a lot of records in a lot of ways uh, offensively too. So, um, you know, you add really two really good players like that to a group of veterans that have kind of been there and done that. And it, it's a good recipe. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, you mentioned Casey Martin. He was a guy I I was hoping the Orioles might have had their eye on later in the, the second compensatory round there, but uh, didn't end up landing him. But that's all right. Now, Heston, 
he was drafted out of high school, 38, 36th round uh, to the Seattle Mariners. So obviously he already had a bit of a pedigree when he showed up at Arkansas. Uh, what was your first impression of, of him? What was, what was your you know, reaction to him being on the squad from day one? Yeah, you know, um, wasn't wasn't quite sure what to expect from him. You know, I, I hadn't recruited him uh, out of high school. He, you know, when I got the job here, he was already signed, and you know, I just met him on the first 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 team meeting, and uh, really liked his, you know, just energy and attitude, and, and uh, you know, he, he came to work every day. And uh, thing is, he's willing to try anything. He listened. He worked very hard, and uh, you know, I'll just say this. He, he just hit from day one. Like, he had great bat-to-ball skill, and he just found a way to get hits, man. I think he led our team in hits that first fall. You know, it was fall of 2017, heading into the 18 season. Um, had the highest batting average on the team and, and did it again for two more falls. And the guy's just a, just a real hitter and uh, obviously has uh, some special power in the bat as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a big time on base machine. And like you said, he didn't miss a beat. The bat was there when he started. Uh, and he was a starter as a freshman, starter as a sophomore, junior, obviously, till the time he was drafted. And uh, you mentioned he's he's a very good listener and willing to, to do just about anything to improve his game. Were there any specific adjustments that he made uh, in either his swing or his approach uh, from freshman year until the time he was drafted? Um, you know, I think I think it's just, it, it, yeah, it's a culmination of everything. I mean, he... He uh, made it a real, real uh, big thing for him heading into his, his junior year that he wanted to cut down on his strikeouts while also continuing to hit at the level he had and hit for the same kind of power. And I, and I felt like he really learned how to do that. Now, the season didn't end up being able to play out like we would have liked to have seen it. But, you know, he really worked on that. I think it was just a, a matter of him almost a mental adjustment more than anything where where he uh, he just didn't think he needed to leave the zone anymore. He wasn't gonna wasn't gonna panic and try to um, you know do too much. He, he was gonna make that guy throw him a strike. And when you're a marked man like he had been in our lineup for a couple years, you know guys guys don't want to throw the ball over the plate to you. And so he was he he did a really nice job of just learning how to slow the game down and really know his zone and have a lot of confidence in that. Um, from a swing perspective, Heston had always had a lot of power, especially to the opposite field, which is special. Um, you know, a lot of times it's easy to pull the ball with power, but guys that can really have opposite field power at a young age, you know, you've really got something there. Yeah, he, right. he had that. Um, and he, you know, we really worked on continuing to get the ball to, to carry and to backspin and to elevate, uh, properly to the middle and the pull side of the field after that and it was just a process but but he did it um I felt like he was he was just more in control of his body and by you know last you know spring he was in a position where um you know he didn't have to lose any power actually he probably had more more power potential than ever into all fields and didn't matter if he's facing right handers or left handers um and you know, he also was, was, had the fewest strikeouts on our team. And so, you know, it's not a situation where, you know, you got to play for one or the other. Um, it's a, it, it's a guy that can, uh, can, can do both. Yeah, no doubt. Now, speaking of these adjustments and just kind of the mindset that it takes, 
elevating the ball a little bit. I know there's a lot of a lot of technology out there now that you know, whether it's blast motion or trackman or you know Rapsodo, whatever whatever it may be. Um, what did you guys use that that helped maximize these guys' potential? Uh, we have all of those those technology pieces, and, and we use them all the time, and we love them. Um, but I just think you know he was able. We were just able to go to work, and and, and we found some things that clicked for him. You know, I mean, when you watch when you watch Heston take batting practice, sometimes it it, it, it looks maybe a little herky jerky, or you know, with with the pre pitch movement, people get hung up on that stuff. But the fact is, the guy gets into a really good position to hit. Yeah, and and he know, and he knows how to launch his launch his barrel from there, and he and he just continued to work to use it to all fields. We worked on you know trying to you know stay. We, we would say something along the lines of you know he's got to stay within his door frame. We didn't want him to to get too far forward and 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 jump at the ball. We wanted him to have great ground force and and, and pressure the ground into his turn and to, you know to get the barrel out. And those were those were a lot of the pieces that we worked on. And it just, it just showed, man. I mean, you know, we, we would also work on, you know, working on changes speeds and it was like, Hey man, you just need to be able to hammer this fastball middle, middle opposite gap. And then we'll, you know, work on changeups and, and be able to elevate it and turn it. And because of the you know great bat pass and, and swing mechanics that he, he had coming in and he continued to refine as he was here, you know, he could, he could basically put his, bat on playing with a pitch you know pretty much through all throughout the zone and throughout multiple pitches and that's you know it just makes him very dangerous yeah no doubt and you mentioned you know the little bit of herky-jerky before the swing itself a lot of people kind of and you, you touched on this too they take that a little bit too seriously and say well it's it's kind of a weird swing I'm not sure it's going to work for him long term as long as you get to that that point when the barrel's coming through the zone where you're nice and balanced, you got the right rotation and everything's clicking. It doesn't matter what the hell's going on beforehand. You know, I mean, look at a guy like, you know, Gary Sheffield, Kevin Euclid, even Barry Bonds. These guys all had herky jerky movements beforehand, but the common denominator is your stance as that the ball is and is meeting the bat through the zone. So. Yeah, no, and Heston, Heston did a beautiful job of that. I mean, like I said, you know, people get hung up on some of those, maybe aesthetics type things early right. on, but Hey, if you really measure what matters, his is as good as it, you know, pretty much is out there. And, you know, one thing he, uh, everybody used to talk about his leg kick a lot and well, can he maintain that? Um, you know, that, that'll remain to be seen, but I'll, t- I'll I know this, and I'll tell you this, um, heading into his sophomore year, I thought, well, maybe we could just calm it down just a little bit. Like, a little less of a leg kick to where you have a little more, more control and a little more balance into his, into his foot strike. And, um, I'll tell you what, it didn't work out great. <laughs> it really didn't. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not a crazy enough coach to go, yeah, you just need to stick with it and keep swinging through that ball. No, it was like, Hey, you know what? Get that thing back up there where it feels comfortable. And the fact is I think it helped him load his hip and, and it just translated his barrel through the zone the right way. And, you know, to each his own, you know, some guys need a leg kick. A lot of guys don't. Some guys need a toe tap, you know, whatever. Everybody's got their own thing and, and he's got a, uh, you know, that leg kick and it, and it works really well. And I, I don't see why anybody would do anything else with him until, until proven he needs to adjust. 
Yeah, I mean, you don't want to turn players into robots. Like you said, everyone's different. They're all going to have different little quirks that, that make them better or worse in one way or the other. And, I mean, <laughs> number two overall pick in the draft, the best, best left-handed power bat in the in the draft. So he's, he's doing something right there for sure. Now, Heston's not your first draftee. He's far from it. But he's definitely the highest selected going second overall. Was there something that, that separated him from the rest of the pack of, you know, guys who you've coached who have gone on to pro careers? Was it really just that power that put him over the top? Uh, I think it was just his consistency, too. I mean, you know, you think about it. The guy comes into the into one of the better teams in the country there in 2018, and he ends up being, you know, a guy that hits in the, you know, the very middle of the order. He's a huge run producer. He hits for a really good average. Uh, he drives a baseball, sets a school record you know, for home runs as a freshman. And then he does it again as a sophomore and has an even better year. And then yeah. as a junior, in my opinion, we didn't get the season, season play out, unfortunately. I think he was going to have, you know, one of the all-time great seasons potentially, you know, like he was well yeah. on his way to that. Um, you know, a guy that could hit, you know, could, could challenge 400 maybe, you know batting average could challenge 25 plus home runs who knows and um and it's a real credit to him I'll just tell you this you know he was he's always been a highly motivated hard worker great kid um but I felt like he you know he he was he was just he was really serious about his work last fall and he went to work on all the aspects of his game and um you know it's just a huge credit to him that that he was never satisfied. He wasn't going to just go, Oh, well, I'm, you know, I've already done this and that, you know, like he wanted more. And so, and I think that's what you'll find with him for sure at the next level as well. Yeah. Well, he was off to a heck of a start this, uh, this past season. I mean, he had six home runs and 78 plate appearances. He was hitting well over 400 OPS above uh, 1300 and the strikeouts were down relatively speed, you know, ratio wise in terms of you know smaller sample size but he was on track for for significantly less strikeouts and more walks so I mean those adjustments that he was making throughout the way they clearly did something now um, unfortunately for Orioles fans he's missing the instructional league because of what was described as a non-sports medical reason Um, but as he begins his pro career is there anything specific that you personally would like to see him do that maybe you didn't get a chance to work on at Arkansas that you were maybe hoping to do down the stretch um I don't know about that I think you know he's uh he's 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 a guy that's obviously you know the hit tool the power tool are special they've they've been challenged against the best of the best in college baseball for you know two and a half seasons and, and proven um, I think this, he, he was, he was, uh, maybe he didn't get the chance to show it last season as much because the season got cut short, but you know, his defense had really gone to another level. I felt like in right field, like, and he, and he had made a real conscious effort. Like he was going to make a big move as a defender. And, and that was not going to be something people could hold against him as a, you know, a liability or anything. And he's always been a solid outfielder, like a good yeah. outfielder. But at this level, and and but I think he was t- moving to where he was going to be an above-average outfielder uh, at the next level as well. And so um, he went to work there. His speed had really gone to another level. His body was in incredible shape. And so I just think, you know, I I, I just think he's got to keep doing those things. And 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 the, like I said, the 
you don't have to cookie cutter him or put him into, well, he's just a power guy. So it's okay to strike out a lot, or he's just a, you know, we, we need him to be more of a contact guy. Like he, he can do, he can, he can cut those, those strikeouts down and be a really good on base guy and a guy that, you know, can get the ball and play and drive in a run with less than two outs, but he, but he's definitely going to leave the yard for you. And, uh, all fields in a great way so yeah I mean it's encouraging to see that he, he improved his defense and like you said he was never bad out there never a liability but you know hovering around average with a, a little bit of an above average arm but you know if he's making those strides right field at Camden Yards isn't an easy place to play I mean Nick Markakis was the guy out there for over a decade and uh you know it's, it's a tough place but I mean I think Heston's got what it takes now in terms of his offensive profile and maximizing that potential that he has you know, you mentioned he's a lot more than just a power guy. And I certainly think that's the case. He's a very well-rounded athlete. With that being said, do you think the Orioles should focus on trying to maximize that power or should they focus more on, you know, cutting back on the strikeouts, increasing the walks and becoming more of, you know, a pure on base guy? Cause we know that the homers are going to come no matter what. Uh, I think he can do both. I mean, for me, it's just, it's, I'd say the power is going to be there, man. I think yeah. he's just, he, you know, continues to hit at the level that he is. And, and so, you know, the contacts, the contact is going to be good. Um, I think the biggest thing is him continuing to, to learn probably that, uh, you know, have, have confidence and poise with that, with that two strike approach. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, mindset there that he had last year and, you know, like I said, you, you know, I don't think you have to sacrifice anything. Um, and I know that that's a great park to hit in. And, you know, I've, I was, I was fired up for him when, when y'all picked him because I think that that could be a, a tremendous place, you know, for his offensive profile. Yeah. I think it's a good fit for him for sure. And it, it allowed us, you know, going a little bit under slot there with that pick allowed us to get a couple guys later on who I think made this draft class really, really well-rounded. And there are a lot of Orioles fans who were hoping for, you know, an Austin Martin or an Asa Lacey or whatever it may be. But you look at the profile of Heston Kierstad and just how he's gotten better every year since high school. And it's hard not to be excited about a guy like that, especially in a stadium like Camden Yards. So we're, we're very encouraged by that for sure. And I hope that as Orioles fans continue to, you know, do a little bit more research on him and, and take a look at the full profile that they'll understand, well, this wasn't just a money saving pick. This was a, this is our guy pick. Well, now, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. I think if the season plays out, he's challenging for the first pick overall anyway. Yeah. I truly, yeah. I truly, I truly believe that. Cause I think he'd have been, you know, not taking anything away from Spencer or from Torkelson. Right. Um, cause he, cause he's phenomenal. And, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not, but, but Heston, I think could have challenged for that number one pick in a lot of people's minds. And, you know, I just think the makeup side of things with him is really, really special too. And that's why he continues to improve. And that's why he's going to be a, a really good big leaguer in my opinion as well, because the makeup is there. The want is there, the work ethic, you know, he's, he's a guy with a, with, it's highly motivated and he's smart and he knows his, knows his game and he, you know, he's willing to work at it. So that's the kind of guy you want in your system. Oh, without a doubt. And I think having him and, and Adley Rutschman there, they're going to be a, a, a force in that lineup for, for years to come. At least that's what we're hoping for. Now, no uh, last thing I wanted to touch on, and this is a little more personal to me because this is what I want to eventually make a career out of, is uh, the scouting process and the draft process. Now, um, how are, and this, is, this wasn't your first rodeo. Like I said, you've had a ton of guys drafted and guys you've worked with 
uh, Jake Berger being another notable one, Casey Martin, of course, and then Heston um, with a bunch of other guys mixed in there as well. How are you as a, as a high school or as a college hitting coach, how are you involved in that process and do teams and did the Orioles talk to you directly when they were kind of doing their homework on Heston and these other guys in the system? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I talked to, I talked to a lot of, a lot of guys. Um, a lot of times they'll, they'll ask, um, you know, they'll ask our head coach, Dave Van Horn as well, or pitching coach, Matt Hobbs, but, but we're, we're in contact with scouts a lot. And, and um, even some of the guys that are, you know, more, you know, maybe even more of the decision makers at the, at the top of the organization, but um, yeah, no contact us. And we just, we, you know, we obviously try to try to shoot them straight. I mean, it's, uh, but the fact is these guys have seen our guys play so much. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's almost hard to tell them something, you know, they, they, a lot of times are asking us more of the, uh, the off the field or how is he to work with, um, that sort yeah, of thing. You want to you know, more like, the makeup side of things. Yeah. Is he, is he coachable? You know, do you like actually working with, him? you know, like, you know, is he, is he a guy that, you know, his teammates like him, that sort of thing. And, and the truth is like with Heston, I, I knew that he was going to, you know, knock those interviews and meetings with uh, teams and general managers and that sort of thing out of the park, because it's just, you know, what you get from him, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a cream of the crop type of person. And so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we, we deal with that and, and are happy to, because, you know, our players, they, they, you know, they love to play here, but their ultimate goal is to play in the big leagues and we want to help them get there. And, and um, but the truth is too, as we tell them this, we're not going to, we're not going to sell, you know, somebody that um, hasn't done things the right way. And, yeah. you know, we, it, it, you, you know, you got it. You got to, um, do things right on and off the field and, and have earned it. And, um, you know, we'll always go to battle for you, but yeah. Yeah. And you, you don't want to sugarcoat things for, for teams. Cause then if, you know, they end up drafting this guy and he's not what you, what you saying, what you claim, then that's your reputation at stake. So yeah, these guys have to understand that if they, if they're serious about it, you know, like you said, the off the field stuff's got to be important to them as well. And, um, you know, clearly with Heston, that was the case. Now, a lot of times, a lot of times, I'll just say this too. A lot of times, yeah. you know, teams want to know how to interact with, you know, him a little bit, you know, heading into things because, because it's a new situation and, and oh, for you sure. know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so, you know, we'll talk about that as well. Um, but yeah. So, sorry. yeah. So, <laughs> no, that's all right. So, my last thing for you then, and, and you kind of answered this already. Um, did you expect him to go? to the Orioles second uh, you said you were obviously you were pumped up for him when he was drafted that high you say that you know you were expecting with a full season he might have made a run at that the number one overall pick um, but knowing the homework that these teams do before a draft did you kind of have an idea that he was he was going to go higher than a lot of mock drafts had him because he was a he yeah was a, we, a had, we had been first hurt. round guy we had been hearing rumblings about um, him going as high as two there is probably about 10 days out from the draft and, you know, just for, 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 for multiple reasons, but yeah, we, we kind of heard that and that, that didn't surprise me, but it was, it was really cool when, um, you know, we were watching, watching ESPN and, and uh, you know, hear that, hear his name called and everything. It's, 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 it's in that spot. So um, 
but yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's it's it's so cool to be part of that process and and see firsthand what's going on. And I'm I'm pumped for you that you had a guy go as high as he did, and uh, wish you the best of luck as you continue your coaching career. And uh, Nate, I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me on the pod today. All right, Ryan. Thanks for having me, man. Good luck. Yeah, man. You bet. Send Heston our best. We'll do. All right. That was Coach Nate Thompson of the University of Arkansas. Hope you enjoyed our little discussion there on Orioles' number two overall pick in the first round, Heston Kierstad. We'll be back next week with a preview of the Rule 5 draft and an interview with Coach Mark Roaring of Dowling Catholic High School, home of the Orioles' fifth round pick, right-handed pitcher Carter Baumler. And the following week on December the 17th, we'll have an interview with Coach Chris Fitzgerald of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, home of the Orioles' fourth round pick, third baseman Kobe Mayo. So we've got some good stuff for you coming up on the pod. After that, we'll be taking a break for Christmas and the New Year. And then we'll be back in January with some more interviews for you. Hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, as always, thank you to Derek and Tony at Utah Street Report for hosting. You can follow me on Twitter at RyeGuyBlake, at OriolesFanProbs with a Z. My voice cracked, but that's okay. Hope you enjoyed the first episode of our December Draft Pick Coaches installment. I haven't given that a true name yet, but uh, we'll be back with round two next week.